I'm Alex Green. Welcome to Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. Oh, yeah, hello. Some days they move quiet and slow. Sometimes I rage out and gnash my teeth just to kick up some foam. Some foam. That's a song called Blooming. It's taken from Ben Jaffe's first solo album, and the uh, album is called Oh Wild Ocean of Love. Ben Jaffe, he is the guitar player for Honey Honey. Maybe you know that band. Maybe you don't, but if you don't, you should because they're terrific. They put out three great albums. They've toured tirelessly, and uh, they're a terrific, terrific band. Uh, Ben decided to put a solo album out. He actually got his start as a solo artist, but uh, then he met Suzanne, and uh, they decided to uh, make Honey Honey. So he never actually put any of those albums out. He was just working on some solo stuff when he met her. Band got together, and uh, and that was that. His solo career was on hold. But um, now, a little break from the band. The band's going to reconvene soon to put out their fourth record. But in the meantime, Ben has recorded his first solo album, and it is Awesome. It reminds me a little bit of uh, Remain in Light by the Talking Heads, Paul Simon's Rhythm of the Saints, uh, those Vampire Weekend records, a little bit of Shuggy Otis. I mean, this album has so many different elements to it, and it is so satisfying uh, of a listen. You won't believe how good this record is. It's just fantastic. I love Ben Jaffe. He's one of those guys that uh, he can do anything. He plays every instrument. He sings. He plays guitar. He plays drums. He does the bass. He does it all. I guess you, uh, you got what I meant when I said he plays every instrument. Well, he really does. And um, he has one of those musical minds. He's like one of those guys that just in his brain is this kind of um, audio tapestry that he's able to translate uh, into the recording studio. And as a result, you get this really nuanced, uh, sonic um, mosaic. It's, a, it's just a, a really incredible confluence of, of sounds and elements that you wouldn't think about putting together. And he puts them together, and the result is incredibly uh, rich and beautiful. So I'm excited about this album. I was really excited to talk to Ben because I've been a fan of Honey Honey for years. Uh, I was on board when their first EP came out about 10 years ago, and I followed that band's career. I love them. And they're more of a rootsy outfit. You know, Ben's solo work is uh, – it's got some real dark and deep grooves to it. And uh, it kind of, you know, listening to it, it kind of reminds me of uh, of like a rumble of sunlight and uh, a kind of rippling groove of darkness, all sort of, uh, you know, weaving together. It's a really complex and uh, and special album, and I think you're going to be very into it when it comes out in February of 2018. We got a couple of new tracks from that album we're going to play for you today, and I'm talking to Ben, and I was really excited to talk to Ben because I've followed his work for a long time, and I had a feeling about Ben. I thought, you know what? This guy's cool. I have a feeling that Ben and I are going to hit it off. I don't know why I feel that way. I mean, sometimes I, I think that and uh, and I'm wrong. And, uh, you know, I don't want to name any names, Rihanna, but sometimes you just don't click. And you think you will and you don't. And it's kind of a bummer, but, you know, that's the way it goes. You don't click with everybody in this world. You only click with some of them. Well, Ben and I, we clicked. We had a great conversation, and the conversation goes everywhere, believe me. It starts off with him eating an apple, and then we talk about Caleb Carr, the novelist who wrote The Alienist. Then Ben has me guess his father's age because his father is considerably older than Ben. Uh, I won't tell you if I got it right. Uh, And then in the end, he gets lost driving through Whitehaven. 
So uh, it's a really it's a really funny conversation, and uh, I don't know if there's a subject we don't cover. You know, we I think we cover it all. Okay, maybe we didn't cover uh, you know Israeli politics 1971. We didn't cover that, but I think if we talked for longer, we would have. Okay, uh, Ben Jaffe, great guy, great album, and uh, great conversation. I think you're going to enjoy this one. But if you're listening to this in the gym, don't sit back and relax. You're going to drop something on somebody. But uh, at any rate, enjoy the conversation with Ben Jaffe right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. You know, it's funny. This is not your first solo album. It's just your first solo album in a while. Um, well, what is- and it's actually it's the first solo album of mine that's being released. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because I went to try to find some of your other stuff and I couldn't find it. So I'm glad to hear it's not just me. Yeah, no, I'm a tricky little dickens. Um, I uh, I did a solo record, eh, Jesus, when I was like 19 or maybe 20, I think. Um, and I was kind of almost done with it when Honey Honey started. Um, Honey Honey is my band that I'm also a part of. Um, uh and I don't know, things happened kind of quickly with, with Honey Honey at first, and all of a sudden we're in the studio and we needed to make a record, um, and we didn't have any songs, or we didn't have enough songs. We had maybe four or five, and we kind of just took about half of my first record and turned it into the first Honey Honey record. Okay, I see. I see how that went. Uh, but you seem like the kind of guy who has like a stockpile of songs you seem like the kind of guy who's been writing songs since you were really young. Is that is that true? I'm kind of that kind of guy, yeah. But I'm also the kind of guy that makes you think that I'm that kind of guy. <laughs> oh, you're that kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I I always I'm kind of like a I'm I'm a I'm a bit of a, a procrastinator. So I have a lot. I have frameworks or skeletons or you know little song nuggets for you know, hundreds of songs, but when it comes to finishing them, I really need a deadline usually um, in order to, to actually put them in a place where I'd want to play them for other people. So the, do you find that the busier you are, the more productive you are? And if you have acres of free time, you just tend to kind of just waste it maybe? <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I, I actually, I don't think I'm being defensive, but I, I don't think I, it doesn't feel like I waste it, but there's so many different things to do, things that I like doing and things that are part of my work, um, that finishing songs without a specific outlet just usually doesn't rise to the top. You know, it's, it's, just, part, it's just part of the process of, of kind of hacking it as a musician, you know. I mean, I, I ask that because I waste it. <laughs> I tend to, I tend to waste it. <laughs> I was doing so some- are you, are you a songwriter too, or do you just waste time? No, I'm, I'm a writer. And, and so if I don't have deadlines or if I don't have, uh, you know, an editor waiting for some stuff, I'm like, oh, look, it's Jaws and it's in Spanish. Maybe I'll watch it. <laughs> I could learn something from this. Maybe I could See, learn I'm that. not, I, yeah, I have like a relentless, um, uh, uh, the relentless weight of guilt follows me around with that kind of thing. So I don't, I generally, I'm a very habit driven person. So I'll practice. There, there aren't really days unless I'm too tired or sick or something where I don't 
practice guitar or, um, you know, just like pursue shit along those lines. Can I, I'm sorry for cursing if that's a problem. Absolutely. Okay. Our, our audience can handle it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Welcome to the dark side. (laughs) So you, you have, take me back for a second because I know that you are from Massachusetts, correct? Um, yeah, well, I was born in New York, actually, and I lived there for until I was about 12, but then I lived in Massachusetts and went to high school in Western Mass. I just want to note also that you have a great um, interviewing voice, man. you got you got a voice for radio. Oh, thanks. I definitely don't have a face for TV. Uh, so I, I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate yeah, that. No problem. Um, and uh, and so you, you found yourself, and then you went to L.A., and I, I'm curious, because after... Did you go after college? Because after college, I, I should have gone somewhere. And instead, I was like, oh, I'll stay in San Francisco. Maybe something great will happen. Uh, I didn't go anywhere. <laughs> but you seem like you went somewhere. Is that what happened? Um, almost. I actually didn't go to college. Okay. <laughs> so that, that was my, my move was, yeah, my move was to just, um, I, I don't know. I never really wanted to go to college. And, and um, I, I actually was kind of set to go in New York. Um, but then I, I just thought, I'm, I'm going to take a year off because I don't, I, I'm not going to learn. And maybe this was presumptuous, I don't know. But I just knew or felt that I wasn't going to learn what I wanted to learn to do what I wanted to do. So I, I just figured I'd go do it. Um, but I was really lucky because I had a friend. Speaking of writers, do you know um, a writer named Caleb Carr? Oh, absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh yeah. man, yeah, he's a brilliant guy, and he's a, a a great friend of mine. And he had a, uh, he had, had so I, I don't know if this is if you just take snippets of this or whatever. I'm just if I'm blabbing too much, just stop. don't blab away. We'll do it um, all. But okay, here it goes. Yeah, he so he he's a he's a wonderful novelist. And he wrote this massive book um, called The Alienist, and which is coming. It's finally coming out of the TV show in a couple of months, which I'm super stoked about. Yeah. Um, but uh, he he's someone that, um, especially when I was in high school, he, I, I really looked up to him and he, he was mentoring me, I guess, and, or just being a cool dude to me. Called that. Um, and he had a place in L.A. that he co-owned. He co-owned this house um, and he never was there. And actually, since since 2000, at least when I was there, when I moved there in 2003, um, he literally has never set foot in this place. Um, so he said, Hey, why don't you stay in my spot in LA? And I, you know, I'd never been to LA or California even. Um, but I knew I had this place to go to. So that kind of gave me the, the enough of an impetus or, or the, the courage that I didn't have on my own. I just, you know, was provided for me. <laughs> having having uh, read The Alienist uh, several times, I'm really curious to know what Caleb Carr's house looked like from the inside. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, well, actually, the house in L.A. is great. It's really, it's in this beautiful neighborhood, um, and it was just, like, uh, kind of wonderful and, and nice. And, ooh, he has this, which he never, he never spent any time with, but he was building out this, small room in the house it's a two it's, a, it's called a multi-family house and downstairs there's a kind of apartment and that's where Caleb lived and where I stayed and one of the rooms which is a small room probably 10 by 10 or something he 
retrofitted to be soundproof so he could just kind of go into his, his zone and write in this room and you know the outside world couldn't couldn't get at him and and I eventually turned that now it's a recording studio um so it's all it really worked out for old Ben Jaffe to be honest yeah it's good um, to have a, but a to answer your to, to answer your question his his house in um in New York is full of like axes and and weapons of destruction that's kind of what I thought I figured yeah. he likes the weaponry the, the vintage weaponry yeah he is all about it you can find like crossbows and tomahawks and muskets and guns and like the dude is ready for the apocalypse he is and and he what i like about him is that i think his father was like one of the uh, beat generation guys right he was somehow tied into that yeah yeah and he um yeah, what's cool about caleb caleb knew he you know he knew what sort of was ringing his bell really early on he knew where his interest was in terms of history and um you know i i, I admire someone who knows that so early Oh my God, it's fascinating. Like he's a legit historian in the book. Anybody who hasn't, if you haven't read The Alienist and you're down from, uh, or you're okay with horrible, disgusting things happening in a wonderful book, then you should absolutely read it because it paints this picture of New York at like the turn of the 20th century that's incredible. I mean, it's, he's, he's a great writer, but his knowledge of the time is I don't know, it just makes for this really kind of unique, like historically legitimate um, fiction. Yeah, I'm glad it's coming to the screen because I know for years they were trying to make it into a movie and it did a lot of false starts. Um, for so, so long. I can't believe you know so much about this book. It's hilarious. Yeah, yeah it's, I've been waiting for uh, 20 years to bring this knowledge out, Ben, so I'm glad to be able to do it. <laughs> Crack <laughs> it open. That's right. That's right. Um, and are you guys still pals? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw him a couple weeks ago. Yeah, he's he's great. Um, so moving out to L.A. must have been a kind of a, a, a big step for you because you were maybe 19, right? Yeah, 18, yeah. 18. And so was it was it everything you thought it would be? Because there was that sort of – you did that kind of go west young man kind of move. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, was it what you thought or was it – or was there sort of a, um, the bubble had kind of burst where there was a dark side that had kind of emerged? No, I mean, I'll be honest, I, I wasn't coming from a really idealistic place. I was such a dumbass that I didn't, like, I literally had never been there. It's not like I'd seen, I think my parents were like, you should watch LA Confidential before you go. You know, I didn't know anything about the city. Um, so I just went out there because, to, to totally geek on you, um, because I knew, one, I had a place to stay in. I knew that Jeff Buckley had lived there for a little while, so I thought that was cool. Um and that's it. So I, it's funny because I said, people used to say that back then. People used to say like, oh man, this is really brave what you're doing. And I just didn't see it that way. It didn't occur to me um, that it was that. I, I don't know. Cause I didn't understand the threat of it. I didn't understand the risk, you know? I love that your, that your parents so wanted you to watch LA Confidential before you, <laughs> you need to familiarize yourself. <laughs> you know what? I might have, I might have misspoken. I think it was L.A. Story, this Steve oh, okay. Martin movie, <laughs> which, is, which is a different, different vibe. Totally different. Yeah. I probably watched Roger Rabbit. Yeah, just like, I mean, with L.A. Story, you might fall in love, or with uh, L.A. Confidential, <laughs> you might get involved in race riots. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there wasn't as much of that. 
one or the other. Um, so for the new album, was this germinating for a while? Um, is this Had these songs been something you've been carrying around with you in your head for a bit? Like we were talking about earlier, when a deadline uh, presents itself, all of a sudden I was finishing things and I started a few new things. But it's, I knew that I wanted, because this is the first solo record I put out, and I'm, I'm not the voice of the band um, that I was, that I'm taking a break from. So I knew that I kind of had to introduce myself to people and, and take it slowly. So I just thought, okay, I'm going to do like a mega EP here and try and do 30 minutes, 25 or 30 minutes of music that feel like a continuous piece. And I, I mean, I kind of, it's not quite as tied together as I had imagined at first, but it's still fairly like uh melded kind of mushed together. I listen to the the songs from the new album, and I think I want to look at Ben's record collection because I can imagine that there is a huge range of of stuff that gets thrown in there. Everything from, you know, there's elements of like experimental, like Radiohead type things. There's jazzy elements. There's there's some uh, real some soul. There's some uh, Paul Simon like grooves, uh, like from that Rhythm of the Saints era. I can sort of hear. Uh, right. Were you sort of aware of the fact that that your sonic palette was so wide? How did you how did you do the the texturing and the arranging of these songs because they're quite complex? Man, um, well, I think I I think all of us. A couple of things. One, I I'm not sure. I imagine we're around the same age ish, but yeah. Um, when Napster came out, I remember Napster coming out when I was like 13 or something like that. Um, and that was a big deal um, because all of a sudden it was just like, okay, nobody's watching the store. Grab everything. Um, and all this music was accessible. So I, I feel like that was, that's a pretty formative. It just became easier for everybody to see that, like, okay, genres is a thing, but it's also not a thing at all. Um, and we can just find whatever we want without having to spend thousands of dollars to get it. Um, so I've always kind of looked at that as, um, I don't know, just an excuse to ignore genre. Um, and that's all. I, I also was, I played a lot of jazz when I was a kid, and I had this teacher who was a real, speaking of beat generation dude, he was like a, kind of a free jazz not kind of he was a free jazz drummer in the in the 50s and 60s in New York so he just brought this um kind of strain or approach that I don't think many people experience and I definitely would have or wouldn't wouldn't have if it wasn't for him but all of a sudden we're having I'm like 15 years old and we're having drum lessons where he's like okay let's just play let's let's play free for an hour so we'd sit around and play and he i mean like he's a, he was a wonderful dude but he had some demons um and we just kind of sit around and improvise music for an hour um so i just kind of came from that place in general and that's how the record that's how we did the record to be honest like i had a bunch of songs and i got together with my friend howard Fibush, who was a badass um and we had a week in the studio it was a limited amount of time and we just kind of improvised everything like all the arrangements we you know we had the, the foundation of the song but everything else every part was just kind of a reaction and does it does it surprise you with some with the way those reactions get laid down do you kind of you surprise yourself and go wow that was actually really cool um and so, <laughs> right like like or or that was really yeah. not something we'll be using 
Yeah, when it when it's not going horribly wrong, it's amazing, um, and it probably happens in equal parts. Um, but it was a cool thing because I got you know I was playing all the instruments, so getting to play drums is something that I haven't gotten to do much, and that's where a lot of these ideas just kind of start. You're mentioning Paul Simon and all this stuff, and like I I love all of that music, and it's a cool thing. You listen to Paul Simon talk about making Graceland, and a lot of those songs came from rhythms first you know that's right it starts with the groove yeah exactly i talk about that song specifically graceland like they had whole sessions he would just get together all these musicians um and they'd improvise for a while um and then with that song he didn't keep anything except for the drums all they had was like that that's all he had and he built the song entirely off of that 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 was a nice break from Honey Honey, which I love, but it comes from much more of like an Americana place, you know? And we just, you know, it's just, okay, the songs, songs first, then we'll kind of paint around that. And I mean, I mean, I guess I still kind of did that, but it was nice to just be like, all right, let's just find a rhythm. It doesn't matter what the rhythm, you know, there's a song called Blooming on the record and the rhythm in the beginning is um, and it's like, why, where the fuck does that come from? It's not like a, it was just, it was just a piece of information, you know, instead of feeling like, okay, this has to be a country vibe or something like that. Did it surprise you that Honey Honey ended up going as rootsy as you did? Because I remember I had the first EP and like Give Yourself to Me is kind of a rockin' song and there's some, there's, you know, there's ballads, there's rockin' songs. Um, and then by the third record, it's very, I mean, I love everything you've done, but it's, uh, it gets, it definitely goes it, it goes roots here. Was that always the plan of that band? And for you who you can do so many different things, um, it seems like, you know, a wider, a wider array of musical choices now as a solo uh, on a solo effort is um, you can kind of show all your, all your skills. Yeah. Look at me. Um, <laughs> man. Uh, yeah. I, I, no, there was never a plan. Um, with Honey Honey to kind of go rootsy, but but Suze has always been drawn to that music, and she kind of got me into it. I never really listened to bluegrass or anything before being in the band, um, and uh, so we kind of with each record there was like a a little guide track that would lead us to the next one. So we had on our first record there was a song called Sugar King, and that was the one that we I don't know. We just we just got the reaction we wanted to from it, or or maybe this is just to me and I'm full of shit. She doesn't feel the same way, but it felt like okay, this is something that's working, so we're gonna pursue this. And then pursuing that kind of vibe got us into the next record. It's called Billy Jack, and there's a song called Thin Line on that where it got a little darker um, and led us to our, to our third record. And to be honest, I don't know what that song is on the third record that's <laughs> going to the fourth record, which is maybe why we haven't made one. When did you know you could play all these different instruments? And then who were your guys? Like, who were your favorite people? Because I imagine it was a, it's a list of multi-instrumental talent. Ooh. Um, well, I, start, I mean, I, I played violin first when I was a kid. Um, and I, I really liked it, but I'm just not, I don't know. I'm such a... ADD guy that I I just couldn't I don't know I I couldn't 
take the I didn't have the patience at that time to really um practice the way that I need to practice in order to actually get good at something. Um so I got into drums and I lost my mind. I just got so into that. Um and I'm trying to remember it was probably there's a bunch. I have a really old dad. Um and because of that I was listening to really old or just kinda music that didn't um I, I just wouldn't have been exposed to it if it wasn't for him. So I'm listening to like um you know Gershwin and Gene Krupa and stuff like that, Buddy Rich, I'm listening to these guys. And I got into drums through that and also had this I had that Hendrix at Woodstock VHS tape. Oh yeah. Um yeah, oh yeah, baby. And um, uh, you know, Mitch Mitchell who comes from a really jazzy place. I just connected with those dudes. Art Blakey, I don't know if if you know him, sure. but they, it wasn't really rock stuff. Um I didn't really get into rock stuff at first. Um no, I'm a fucking liar. Uh, except for Nirvana, like I had this these friends, um, the Putnam brothers, and I would go over to their house and their dad was a great and still is a great musician. Like he played with Arlo Guthrie and like all these he was just a legit dude and he plays everything. He can play keys, bass, guitar, kind of all at the same level. Um and we started this band and we would just play like entire Nirvana records. I'm I'm a dirty liar because that I was so into Grohl, and they told me I looked like him when I was a kid, which which really like lit my fire. You you said that your father was older. Is it because your parents had kids later, or you had a big family? Um. Well, so my my mother is my dad's second wife, so um, he had kids younger and older. Um, but he's I mean like he's pretty uniquely old. Um, you want to play the game? How old's Ben's dad? I play this from time to time. Let's do it. Let's play it. Okay. So the first is wait. Maybe three rules. I can't really remember, or or just three kind of parameters. One, I tell you that I'm 32 years old, and I say my dad is crazy old. He's crazy old. Um, uh, and then I tell you that only one person in my life has ever won the game. How old is Ben's dad? Okay. Um, maybe there's only two parameters and then, um, and then you guess. Okay. I'm in. Uh, now are you gonna give me prompts or I just get to guess? No, you just guess. You guess based on those prompts, which is, okay. so, uh, um, you're, here's the third one. I've only met one person with a wider age gap between her and her dad. Okay. And he's passed away. All right. So my, I'm, you're 32. I'm 47. My dad is 81. Okay. Um, so my dad was a little bit older than most of the other dads, but not by too much. Okay, I'm gonna say you're 32. I think your dad, in my brain, I'm getting the number 87. Yeah. See, people just can't. They never, they never guess. They, they never go really go for it. <laughs> and maybe I tried you, to go maybe for you it. thought you were going for it. I really thought I was going for it. Did I? Did I? Should I have gone harder? Yeah. Yeah. Is he 94? No, you, you still could have. You, <laughs> he's turning ninety six in uh, a week. Wow, your dad is old. He that's <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. He there's yeah. There's no there's right. If you're ninety six, there's no there's no sugarcoating the fact that you're you're definitely now yeah. you qualify as old. Yeah. No two ways around. Is uh, are you you guys tight? Yeah, yeah, we are. I'm I'm actually going. I'm gonna. I have a show tomorrow in Massachusetts, close to where they live. So I'm actually driving up to uh, to see them now. But and, you know, what's... and yeah, we, uh, you know, he's 
he's um i don't know he's an amazing guy he's crazy what was his uh what was his line of work when he when you were younger well you know what's what's fucked up is he's still working he's uh he was a publisher and an editor a book editor he used to work at random house and bantam and um was just a really uh on the scene dude in the in the book world um and uh he still does, which is actually not how I know Caleb Carr, but um, it would make sense. You know, he was in that kind of New York um, book community, especially in the 70s um, and 80s. But well, those were those were good. Uh, that was his. You know, I'll tell you something funny. When I first got the Honey Honey EP uh, all those years ago and I saw your last name, I thought you might be related to Al Jaffe from Mad Magazine because it's not a common <laughs> last name. And yeah, I, yeah. You know? I'm not, but 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 my dad knew him. They they worked together. Oh really? So I was sort of I wasn't that far off. Yeah, you weren't far, but he's this he's a double E Jaffe, and I'm one of the single E. Oh, okay. So I didn't I didn't uh, it'd been so many years since I'd seen Al Jaffe's name, um, but uh, <laughs> it's yeah, I'm, I'm in so... like the Jaffe category. Like if a, a <laughs> yeah. telemarketer calls me, like they go Jaffe. Jaffe. Uh, so we we both have older fathers. Uh, which is uh, which is great because I think when your when your parents are older they're also a little more relaxed. So when you say I'm gonna skip college and go to L.A. and play music, they go, "All right, we'll just watch <laughs> L.A. Confidential and you'll be okay." <laughs> yeah, he's like, "I gave up on you years ago, boy." All right, <laughs> but and it's and it's true. He he, I think there are those things to be learned. It's a weird thing, and I I'll never fully know. Um, but you know, you're if you grow up with your father, you're patterning most of your at least male vibe behavior off of him. And it's a, it's just a different thing to be kind of role modeling off of somebody in their seventies when I was growing up. And I think it's, yeah. So it's like, I undeniably had an impact on me. I just don't quite know what. I mean, musically, if your father had been the age of the other fathers, he would have been like, sit down, son, time to learn about REO Speedwagon. But in, instead, you got, you got <laughs> oh, our I never knew any of that stuff, dude. Right. Honestly, like, never, never knew. Most pop culture, I completely missed because not only did I have this old-ass dad, but uh, we lived, after we moved out of the city, we lived seriously in the country, like in the woods, basically. And, we, and I didn't have a TV. So I was just, like, out, out of it. But you're probably reading a lot of books because your dad probably had a lot of books around the house. That, yeah, that's true. I did. I did read a lot. And so it's sort of, and you had a wide palette to sort of choose from. So in many ways, you're, you know, the, all of your influences are, you know, you have you span like a hundred years of of American culture, <laughs> which is kind of incredible. Uh, yeah, so you maybe a little too much credit, but uh, yeah, I dip in and out. I watched Ken Burns documentaries. I'm hip to it. Some phone. Some phone. 
what is the plan for you with the solo album? I mean, I know that when my last book came out, I thought, okay, I woke up that morning and I thought, okay, the book's going to come out and the world will stop and pay attention. But it doesn't really work uh-huh. that way anymore. <laughs> so, so how do you do it? Like, how do you release an album and how do you alert the world to it? Well, I mean, I, I'm kind of, I, I try and stop myself from thinking in this like marketing viewpoint, which is like, okay, well, you know, this is what uh, this is what people like, I think, and maybe I'll go for that. I because I just don't, I don't either. I don't know enough, or I don't quite believe it. Something that I'm trying to embrace is like, okay, if I'm literally in just a room full of people or my friends, how would I? How would I want to show this to people I actually know or I'm actually interacting with? Um, or how it's like introducing a person to other people, you know? Right. And my um, my music, like like I said before, so I'm not the 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 voice of Honey Honey. If I was the voice, like Suzanne as the voice, has had a different and will always have a different experience interacting with uh, the community that we built because they they know they know what she sounds like and kind of what to expect like her record sounds not it's not the same as but it's not a total departure from honey honey when it comes to my stuff it it completely is you could play that for people um and they would have no idea that i was also in honey honey so i i have to do or it feels like i have to do this kind of patient introduction process so um, that's I, that's what I feel like I'm doing at least where I'm uh, doing a lot of videos um, one because I love making them and two because I'm not I'm not dying to hit the road the way that Honey Honey did when we were like 25 and just like hit it and play and maybe there'll be 15 people in Kansas City or not you know but I'm I'm just not gonna do that now so we have these wonderful tools now um where we can uh reach literally half of the world's population potentially uh without going anywhere so i'm just focusing more on that i just want to make videos so people understand what i'm doing and then when there's enough of a community to support me traveling more and performing that's that's what i'll do Honey, honey, definitely was not shy about the road. I saw you guys a couple times here in San Francisco, and um, and, and you, you were here a lot, which was cool. Um, it was I saw some great shows, yeah. but you definitely were not afraid wow. to get on the road. Where, are, so, do you feel kind of like when you think about the road, do you go, "Ugh, that just sounds like that sounds like a lot of work now." <laughs> well, I love being in all the places. I just really don't like getting there right. at this point, you know, because because my back hurts. <laughs> that's what, and there's a draft in the van what <laughs> it's just it's not easy on you man it is rough it's i was like i was talking to someone about um uh music school the other day and it's like they should teach you how to um they should give you fitness regimens to keep you from destroying yourself because you literally ride in a van for six hours and then you basically like lift and jerk to the side it's really (laughs) heavy equipment and you slowly grind yourself into dust um and you're playing loud music i i'm kind of blabbing now but i just there's this hendrix documentary excuse me a hendrix live um 
film, and it's him in like 1970, and he's playing in Berkeley, California. And uh, there's footage of him before the show, and he just looks destroyed. He looks like he had the shit beaten out of him by like a jar of heroin or something. And um, and he plays, and it sounds wonderful, and it's amazing. But there's this moment where he hits what's called the pickup selector on a guitar, okay? Um, and it makes this sound that just echoes, and you realize how loud he was playing. Um, just by touching his guitar, it kind of echoes through this room. Um, and you really, like, that will destroy you. You know, playing... Being exposed to the kind of volume that being in a rock band, especially then, I mean, it's not as bad now, but it's still loud. Like, it's fucking loud when you go and you play these shows and you play 25 of them in five weeks, you know. Um, it, uh, it really is not good for you. You know, I could be like, a, I was like a late 20, 20s dude with hearing loss. Um, and... Uh, I don't know. It's it's such a difficult thing because you love it so much. And it also is like, you know, killing you as you're doing it. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, and, and so physically it takes an enormous toll on you. Even as a young man, I would imagine that it's just like your back hurts, you your ears are shot, and you're not even 30. And it's sort of like you kind of have to reevaluate, <laughs> right? Like, like good God. So Ooh. – Right. So when you, when you think about like, well, when Honey Honey, you know, does the next record or um, that maybe there's considerations that you'll make, like, well, I don't want to go to Iowa, you know, a day after I'm in, you know, wherever. I mean, it doesn't make sense to, to sort of do that to yourself. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like climate change in the sense that you just hope that we are figuring out answers fast enough to save ourselves. Um, and that's kind of the touring thing is like, okay, well, hopefully we are reaching enough or reaching more and more people as a band so we can provide ourselves with a little more comfort, you know, and there is really like, even at the top levels, it's still tough. Um, but if you're moving forward, okay, great. We, one, we can make more money and play fewer shows. That's like the first step. So the most we did um, we were touring with a guy named Jake Bug, who's a wonderful British dude. And as, as an example of the first time I met him and got kind of involved in that world, I was like, oh, this is why the music business needs like 18-year-olds to be famous because nobody else can survive this, you know? Um, and we did on that, because he'd be like flying from uh, Tokyo to Mexico City, and then he'd shoot a video in Memphis and go on a tour for, um, you know, and play 15 shows in in three weeks or something like that. And you're like, no one can withstand this. You know, you, you have to be like 18 or 19 or, or whatever um, to, to really be able to do this and still be a functional, quasi-functional human. Um, but, uh, but anyway, you know, what we've seen with Honey Honey, because we've slowly gotten bigger is we're able to afford to tour in a way that isn't as destructive as it can be, you know? I mean, but speaking of Hendrix, that's kind of what they say messed him up really towards the end. The last tour he did, it was like, okay, you're in Berkeley tonight, and then you'll be in uh, New Hampshire tomorrow, and then Wednesday you're going to be in Oregon. And it was like someone just didn't plan yeah. that tour right, so he was literally going back and forth and back and forth, and it was it was actually killing him. And, and I think it ended up, 
is a reason why he was doing what he was doing to sort of stay stimulated and stay upright. Yeah, no, it makes absolute sense. You, you talk yeah. about, well, whatever. You can talk about so many um, rock and roll acts who just go through it because you get to this, if you're in a place, I mean, even far below him, but where people are actually paying attention and giving a shit about what you're doing, one, it's incredibly exciting and it feels really fucking good. And two, it's kind of like, okay, go, go, go. You know, iron is hot. Um, and all of a sudden, it's it's really difficult for people to say no, um, especially when the, it's a different type of money than they've ever made or whatever. You can just be like, well, yeah, you know, this could be my three years. People think about it in that way. Um, and it really, like, you know, I, I, I don't I want to sound dire and it's just kind of the reality and i also want to sound like a whiny dude but you know like people die a lot especially at the top you know and it's it seems kind of that's a fairly unique thing for people at the top of a field to die that often <laughs> that's right that's true i was like okay this is yeah this is a taxing uh, thing you know and self-preservation is is really important. I mean, you guys found yourselves suddenly playing on live TV, right? So, I mean, there's a lot of videos of you guys in the early days uh, playing on shows. Were you ready for that, or it happened so quickly, and all of a sudden you're you're thrust into that <laughs> situation? I mean, were you did you feel ready, or was it nerve-wracking? I I mean, it it wasn't nerve-wracking because I think we built this really insular world with each other. Um, where th there was just so much happening between us just as friends and, you know, that it took a lot of the, uh, I don't know, it, it, it kind of blinded us to a lot of things for the better or for worse. And it's not like we are, you know, we got huge or famous or anything like that. There's a lot going on and there are people investing, especially in the beginning, a lot of money in us. Um, and, uh, um, I don't, I, I mean, I, I was ready, I guess, but I, you know, when I listened to myself play back then, like I just, my head just wasn't in the right place. Like I didn't, I, I didn't sound very good. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, are you being just crit critical of yourself or you literally look, listen to you go, ah, I could. No, 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 that's, that's the truth. You know, I wasn't like, uh, I didn't really become a guitar player that I'm proud of until maybe two, three years ago. Um, and I was, you know, I was just all over the place. Like my, I, my, my head space wasn't in the place that it's kind of settled into. You know, I realized like, um, I think there were some natural things that I, like songwriting was something that I kind of had a different type of access to and I could write songs that I'm still, you know, some of them that I wrote around then I'm still happy about and I'm proud of. Um, but my playing, I, I, you know, I just like didn't have my shit together and it was, it, you know, it was just happening. It did happen kind of quickly. So it's funny to watch that stuff. It's but you know, I was like 22 or whatever. It's kind of cringe, cringy. She, Suze is different. She was, she was more ready for it. She, um, she had like a showbiz back upbringing almost, you know, she was a model when she was young and was a, on TV shows and all this stuff. So she, it, it was just, she was almost trained or exposed to that stuff. And I kind of came into it like, whoa. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> and it, uh, I think it's, uh,
You know, I think that's where, you know, we talked about uh, early death, uh, which is a cheery topic. Uh, but, you know, someone like Amy Winehouse, I think that she wasn't ready to play Glastonbury. I don't think she was ready to play something that big. I think she'd always envisioned herself in a smoky nightclub. And so that can that can take a toll on somebody. Just that kind of pressure, that many eyes on you um, can yeah, feel. Did, what you thought, did you see that movie? I did. Heartbreak. Yeah, I mean, she's saying it the whole time. <laughs> and right. she's so unique because. As an artist, she was so ready, you know, like she was making such powerful music um, throughout, all, at least through part of that period. But yeah, like emotionally, she totally was, she's a fucking wreck and died. That's right. I mean, there's, so there's artistically ready and emotionally ready, like, like Sylvia Plath, artistically ready, not emotionally ready. Um, you know, a lot, yeah. a lot going on the wine house and a lot of people like that. Uh, I'm curious to know, like, what about, how does it feel to step in front of the microphone and, and be the voice? Like, what is that like in terms of being a singer? How was, how was that for you? I love it now. I was really terrified of it for a while. Cause I didn't kind of put the focus of the, the work in, but I've always had, when I get on stage, I always have a natural, I, I feel I'm horribly nervous, like, you know, game endingly nervous. And then I get on stage, especially when I was a kid, I like throw up before shows and blah, 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 blah. Um, but then when I get on stage, I, I feel very comfortable and I, I, I love it. And I still feel that way now. Um, and it's cool to have these opportunities to, to actually front it. And, you know, I kind of put the focus into my singing that I needed to do to be, to be comfortable with it. Um, so now it it really um, is is an expressive thing for me. And for someone who's practiced you know instruments your whole life, now do you find yourself uh, practicing singing, or is it something that is? Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah every, every day. Every day, yeah, you're that, that's good. That every, every day, day. Thing, I'm doing something every day, like just like shooting free throws. You're gonna make them if you do it every day. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. For sure, I'm such a, and I've I've always felt like this. I I'm not. I when I was a kid, I would play. I was in this band of like uh, kind of it was like jazz prodigy kids in in Western Mass. Um, and I, you see certain differences as far as like talent goes. There was a piano player, and his name is Morose Sprague, um, and he's just a monster. He still is. Like he is a great piano player, and when he was 16, he's a great jazz piano player um and it just came so quickly to him and i'm not saying easily but it it came in a way that i music has never come to me like that i love it deeply and i have um you know physical and emotional response to it but i have to practice you know i have to kind of settle myself down and focus on on anything um 
to do it. And that's it, it's the same for everybody, but to different degrees. Like there's some people like Moreau just had a natural tendency that just allowed him to move quicker um, than I was able to do until I really started focusing and, and, I don't know, taking it seriously as a practice. Are your musical goals more about achievement or more about curiosity? I think more as far as curiosity. You know, it's just like, okay, I want to get better at um, writing for a string quartet um, or I want to get better at, um, you know, I, whatever, with singing or playing this or blah, 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 blah. So I just kind of let that stuff leave, you know, and, and I love playing live. So what can I do to keep doing that? You know, and I love, I've just started to score films. So what can I do to keep doing that? So it, it's much less, you know, with Honey Honey, I did for a while because making those records was tough. Um, I said, I want to do three Honey Honey records. I, I actually, I've said that for years. I was just like, I'm going to do three. And in my mind, I said, I want to do three great records with this band. And, and I am, I'm super proud of the records we did. Um, but that, that I did have like a specific goal, but I don't think we're done. That was just then, you know? Um, yeah, but I, I just feel more motivated towards like figuring out how to do this stuff. I like that you said that because I know Elvis Costello is a guy who, you know, he challenged himself to do, I'll do a, you know, I'll do a, a record with the Brodsky Quartet or I'll do a, I'll do a record, or is it the I can't remember the Brodsky or Kronos Court. I always forget. I'll do a record with Burt Bacharach. I'll do a country album. I'll do a punk album. And he, uh, you know, he visited all these different kinds of genres. And and I like hearing that you're that you're interested in doing something like that. Um, you know, sort of expanding your your range. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what I mean. I still really come from a a, a student perspective on this stuff. All of it. You know, I'm just like, I just want to be able to make people feel the way I feel when I listen to Stevie Wonder. Well, dude, I think you're doing just that. Uh, hey, I'm so happy to have had you on the show. Uh, I'm so excited for your album. Congratulations, man. I'm, I'm a big fan. Man, thank you so much. Yeah, for thanks, sure. thanks for having me on. And, and it, I don't know, it's just lovely to talk to someone I like talking to. <laughs> face around me or let down that guard honey don't candy cold what I am do you what I will do cause I won't fade to the background
That's Dominator from Ben Jaffe's new album, which will be out in early 2018. Isn't he a sweet guy? What a sweet, lovely fellow. Really enjoyed talking to him, and uh, I'm a big fan of his music, as you can tell, and you can be too. All you have to do is go to BenJaffeMusic.com. That's two Fs and one E, BenJaffeMusic.com. Check out uh, Dominator and Blooming. Both have new videos. Check those out. Uh, he has this kind of rearrangement series where he does a string quartet. On Blooming, and he does uh, a really interesting take on Dominator, which you just heard. Oh, Wild Ocean of Love is the album, and that will be out, like I said, early next year. So look forward to that. If you want to check out Ben's work in the meantime with Honey Honey, do it. They have three albums, and all three of them are fantastic. You know who else is fantastic? You. That's right, you. You're fantastic. I uh, appreciate your support of uh, Stereo Embers of the podcast, The Heart Goes Boom, Bombshell Radio, I uh, I don't know what to tell you. You guys you guys make me insanely happy. You're so generous with your uh, with your time, making time for us here at Bombshell Radio. You write me nice notes. You send me weird soup. I'm not gonna always eat the soup. I don't know where it's coming from, but I certainly appreciate the gesture. So thank you for the soup. Even if I didn't need it, I I wanted to. I was just afraid. I'm not that brave yet to uh, eat soup that comes in the mail. I sit there with my spoon hovering over the bowl, and I go, eh, maybe I shouldn't do this. Uh, listen, thank you again for listening to the program. Thanks again to Ben Jaffe for the chat, and I will see you next week right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio.